All right, so verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Luke 22, 3 says that Satan entered Judas before this happened. <clears throat> so they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched over for an opportunity to hand him over. We're going to skip over to verse 20. It says, When evening came, Judas was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. <clears throat> While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to hold on to that, forgiveness of sins. We're going to come back to that. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the wine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. <clears throat> so they sung a hymn. They went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on the account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So then Peter replies, you know, I never will. Uh, Jesus tells him again, I tell you the truth. Um, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, and we all know that story. Down to verse 40, says he would, so the prayers happen, the first prayer Jesus comes back, they're asleep. He asks them to stay up with him. The second time, same thing. So after the third prayer, it says, when he came back again and found them sleeping, we're in verse 43. Because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him, and a very large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. <clears throat> so after I was asked this question, uh, <clears throat> obviously this story is the first thing I thought of. And that's when the yes, the no, the I don't know back and forth happened. Um, the truth is, no one knows. Now we just read a bunch of scripture. There's arguments that you can make for it. And there's arguments that you can make against it. Again, I'm not going to tell you which one to believe. Uh, 
so my answer is, that's between him and God. No different than you. That's between you and God. That is your own personal relationship. Uh, and I gave a message on Easter. Uh, it was called, I Choose to Believe. Uh, there were things that we read in Scripture. I read the accounts of the resurrection in all four Gospels and how they're different. Then I used the analogy about four people seeing a car wreck and having four different stories. I choose to believe what I believe because I choose to believe that. Um, the thing that struck me with everybody that said no is no one mentioned <clears throat> the reason why they said no is how he died. How he died, he took his own life. Um, I'm going to read the case in that. That's Matthew 27. We're going to pick up in verse 3. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus threw the money onto, into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. And what was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. <clears throat> so that's in, math, in Matthew 27. I want you to skip over to Acts 1, 18 through 20. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Alcadema, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may this place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place in leadership. So we have two different accounts written by two different authors. You can draw your own conclusion about how he died. <clears throat> Again, we know that once Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil was torn. There was a huge earthquake. Um, you can draw your own conclusion about whether or not when he fell headlong that he was in fact in a tree. I choose to believe that. I choose to believe that. Um, and I have thought a lot this week about how he died. There are seven accounts that I found of suicide in the Bible. There is Abimelech, that's in Judges 9. His skull was crushed under a millstone that was dropped by a woman. 
So he called for his armor bearer to kill him with a sword because he did not want it said that a woman had killed him. You got judges again, Samson, he collapsed a building, sacrificed his own life, but in the process destroyed thousands of Philistines. You have Saul and his servant. After losing his sons, his troops in battle, and his sanity long before, Saul, assisted by his armor bearer, ended his life. Then Saul's servant killed himself. Ahithophel, disgraced and rejected, he went home, put his affairs in order, and then hung himself. Zimri in 1 Kings, rather than being taken prisoner, Zimri set the king's palace on fire and died in the flames. And then finally we have Judas. After he betrayed Jesus, Judas was overcome with remorse and hung himself. <clears throat> so you see where I ended up with this message about suicide. This is uh, another one of those topics that are no fun to preach. Uh, the last two times I've stood in front of you, I have talked about gender and now suicide. Y'all, this is getting out of hand. Um, this was supposed to be an easy week. Uh, we're on the verge of going on vacation. I said, man, just give me the story about Naaman that I know. Let me get up there and knock it out of the park. And we go, Micah comes back, and nobody knows anything. And then my lovely wife pointed out to me, you know, it's the first week of warrior groups, right? They're going to take notes, and they're going to talk about what you're talking about. And I said, no, it'll just be an introduction. <clears throat> so Tuesday comes and goes. I get my foot caught in between my trailer and my lawnmower deck. Uh, yeah, that's not fun. Um, yesterday, the capacitor in our air conditioning goes out, and it gets hot quick. And I'm like, Lord, this is either you telling me that I need to run, or Satan is trying to prevent this from happening. Uh, Y'all, if there was a back door in this church this morning, I'd have ran through it. Um, and the thing is, I think that's what churches do. They run. They run from these types of conversations. Uh, if you've been here at any time, uh, we do. We talk about those things. We talk about gender. We talk about abuse. We talk about divorce. Uh, and we're going to talk about suicide. Micah has preached this a couple years ago. The thing about uh, <clears throat> those topics is... Uh, Y'all yeah, got to give it up for Kyle. Kyle put a 30-second clip on social media, and our messenger has gone ballistic. Um, some are good. Some are bad. Some take that 30-second clip and just draw conclusions that Micah beats his wife. <laughs> we encourage you to watch the whole message. They're all on YouTube. The good thing about Kyle, man, is he knows that, uh, he knows that, that clip is going to get a lot of play from the good and the bad. Uh, that is something that, <clears throat> that we know going into it. I learned a long time ago to not read the comments. My wife is learning that <clears throat> slowly. She gets so mad. Uh, if Harp's watching, she was coming to your defense. 400 new followers because of it. So... Uh, but y'all, these crucial conversations, man, we're not going to run from them. Um, they are difficult to have uh, and no less difficult to preach about. Uh, just a couple of statistics. Each year, there are over one million attempts. 50,000 of those succeed every year. That's more than car wrecks. 
There's two times as many suicides as homicides. I saw a statistic that in 1999, over, uh, there was an increase of 25% in suicide, and among teenagers, it tripled. One in five teens have suicidal thoughts. Y'all, that's 20%. That's the next generation of Christian warriors, and one in five are thinking about ending their own life. So we go back and we realize, well, what happened in 1999? Anybody? Social media. Those are statistics before COVID happened. It's astronomical since COVID happened, the suicide rate among teenagers. So there are, I came up with five reasons. Uh, these aren't in any particular order um, that I feel that somebody would feel like they just could not take it anymore. Uh, we've talked about one that's a medical emergency or an extended illness. Uh, this one Micah spoke to directly, uh, talking about pain and suffering. They saw it with uh, his dad. Um, this came to a time where the doctor said, you know, it's enough if we pull the plug, you know, he's not gonna make it. Um, he made it very clear that in that moment, he feels that that's God, that's turning it over and letting God handle business. You know, it's not committing murder, that's asking for mercy. Um, and there is a difference. We went through that with, uh, with Tiff's grandma. Um, comes a time and things just went south quick and the doctor comes in and, and has that crucial conversation with us. Um, and I will never forget this. Uh, another pastor came in and you could see the, the family members that maybe struggled with their faith, struggled with their relationship, just people came coming in and, and just praying over the family constantly. They're like You could tell they were kind of getting perturbed about it almost. Uh, I felt like they were grasping at straws and trying to find an explanation from a God that they don't know. And that hurt us, as a, not only as a family, but as believers. And a, a gentleman walked in, and he, we talk about God's will all the time, and his will be done. Well, his will for us is not sickness, and it is not death. It is not pain. His will is joy. His will is, is memories. His will is a life of happiness. But what that gentleman said is, you know, we ask for his will to be done, but sometimes in his timing, he says it's time. And her time was up, just like Micah and Hannah's dad. His time was up. So to call that assisted suicide, we can, we can split hairs about that later. Um, the second reason is there is a, a cause maybe that you're committed to. We see this uh, in war. Um, Japanese had suicide dive bombers. You know, they would get shot down and they would just dive headfirst into aircraft. Um, everybody in this room probably, well, not everybody, but you've heard stories or remember 9-11. Um, to me, that's suicide. That's just, that's cowardly. Um, that cause is not from God. If any cause would cause you to commit murder, uh, we can argue about that later. <clears throat> so the third one is maybe a pact between others. You know, we see this with teenagers. Uh, the 
you know, the, the love story, Romeo and Juliet. Um, you know, he takes the potion because he thinks she's dead. She wakes up and realizes he did what he did, so she does what, what she does. Um, I think that's kind of, as we go forward, our youth, you know, at 15 and 16, they think, oh, I'm so in love, and he broke up with me. And you take your life at 15 or 16 because of what a kid said to you or did to you. Those are things, man, that we just, uh, these last three reasons, I'm going to give you an example why it is so important. Guys, moms, dads, get your family to church. Get your family to church. Um, the situations, obviously, they grow and expound with social media. Uh, the bullying that happens, man, it's just these kids feel like they're just, uh, they don't have anybody or anywhere to turn to. Um, so the fourth reason is that feeling of meaninglessness. They feel like they have no purpose, no meaning, no hope. Uh, their scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. Nick, if you want to pull that up. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's a purpose. I know it's hard to tell a 14 or 15-year-old, hey, you do have a purpose on this earth when they're just trying to struggle to make everything line up. I mean, we've all been there. We've all done that. Use this book. Use your home. Use your atmosphere. Use this church. Use God's church to tell somebody what their purpose is. The fifth one is uh, circumstances uh, that are just too much. They can seem overwhelming to a point where a person just says, I can't handle it anymore. Uh, that's mental illness, depression, anxiety, stress. There's so many factors that can lead to that. Uh, pull up that next one, Nick, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So personally, luckily, I've never been in that place. I've never been in that darkness that I can remember. I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. That's right. Some of y'all were with me while we were doing it. That's right. Y'all, this is serious now. This is serious. Um, but I, don't, I can't say that I've ever been there. I've never, I've never felt that. Uh, I've always been, I call it that other wolf. I've always been able to find that other wolf. Uh, as an Indian chief, he's telling his grandson, you know, you have two wolves that are fighting inside of you. And uh, the grandson asked him, he's like, well, well, which one wins? And the chief says, the one you feed. It's the one you feed that wins. Um, now, from the statistics that I've read, there's too many of y'all in here, and especially watching online, to believe that none of you have ever felt this way. You've got to find that other animal in you. Uh, when the storms of life come, I, finding that other animal is sometimes all we have to hold on to. When you run head first, you know there's a story, but there's a difference between cows and buffaloes. You know, they can feel 
weather coming. They can feel storms coming. A cow runs away from it. They spend more time in it. And a buffalo runs head on into it so that it passes through faster. Those storms of life, you can stay in them as long as you like, but you gotta keep moving. Uh, I'm gonna coin a phrase um, that actually Micah came up with. Don't tell him that I'm gonna give him any credit for this. But if people that are dealing with those thoughts, it says suicide doesn't end your life. It ends the opportunity for God to change it. That was very powerful. You're welcome, Micah. Um, so those are people that I just broke down quite a bit of scripture as far as people that are dealing with those thoughts. Um, and now I'm going to switch perspective. And this is, this is where it got difficult. Uh, these are for people that have already dealt with this topic. Um, so one question was, is, is suicide a sin? If I had to answer that, don't give up on me. When I give you the answer, don't walk out. Of course it is. The definition of sin is separation from God. It's an act that offends the holy and sinless God. So yes, I believe that it is a sin. Now, however, the Bible does not say that someone who commits suicide cannot go to heaven. Some people say, well, that's the unpardonable sin. They say that because they feel that there's no room for repentance. Um, suicide is not unpardonable. The only unpardonable sin is in Mark 3, and that's associating the Holy Spirit's work with the work of Satan. Pull that up, Nick. What color is that in? Go back. Go back. There, 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 there. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of eternal sin. Nothing can separate true believers from God's love in Christ. Pull up Romans 8:38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Go to the next one, John 10, 27. What color is that in? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So for the believer, all sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven through faith in the atoning work of Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Forgiven, forgiven through faith in the atoning work of Jesus. Confession of sin 
allows for intimate fellowship with God, but a believer's eternal destiny is set at the moment of receiving Christ. Repentance, write this down, repentance is not our seal into the kingdom of God. Our seal is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Repentance is not our seal into the kingdom of God. Our seal is the Holy Spirit. Pull up Ephesians, Nick. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's the Bible's words, not mine. The Bible treats life as a divine gift and something that humans are to value and respect. I believe personally that no human has the right to take his own life or the life of another person. Yes, suicide is a terrible tragedy and a sin even, but it does not negate the Lord's act of redemption. Our salvation rests securely in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the Bible affirms that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved that's in Romans 10, 13. <clears throat> Suicide is the only cause of death that affects others from someone else's decision. That personal decision that someone else makes affects everybody. You're left with questions, why? Why did this happen? What did I do? What could I have done different? You see where that cause of death shifts the focus on what you did wrong, what you didn't do, what you could have done. I experienced uh, some of this uh, last Saturday. Um, I had to leave vacation Bible school for a little bit to attend a funeral uh, it was a 39-year-old friend of mine um, who had committed suicide. And so that question of, you know, what happened? I mean, we were friends for over 20 years, and obviously over the last 10 or 15, we lost touch from each other. Um, she was married to a, a good friend of mine and actually lived with my brother uh, for quite a while. And the most heartbreaking thing was when I looked around, I was waiting for people that I knew from that time in our lives to show up so I could sit with them, and nobody did. I had to sit by myself. Uh, that was heartbreaking to me to know that she felt that she didn't have anybody to reach out to. I've struggled with that all week. I know some of you that have dealt with this uh, in the past, that that's a struggle that y'all have gone through as well. I can't imagine that feeling of somebody that was any closer to me than, than this young lady was. Um, 
after 25 minutes, I got up and walked out. I listened to a, a Baptist preacher that had believed a certain way his whole life, try to now go back and maybe try to convince everybody that she was in heaven. To me, that did not do her any justice. So my goal today was to do her justice. And anybody else that has been through that situation to know that if that person had a relationship with Jesus, you will see them again. I've never walked out of a, out of a funeral before. And I'd had my bright blue VBS shirt on to boot. Um, felt like that all eyes were on me. But I felt like I owed that to her. I felt like I didn't want that to be my last memory of her. You know, we have memories are all we have to, to pass on to other people when they are grieving. I went through that with my own grandfather. Um, I didn't want to remember him, the broken man that he eventually became. He was just a giant in my eyes from when I was a kid. I mean, he was 6'3", 230, and always dressed on the nines, had tucked in starch jeans, shirt, cowboy hat. I mean, he was my hero. And I deserted him the last year of his life because I didn't want to remember him that way. Um, the memories are all we have sometimes. Um, I'm going to wrap this up here in a minute. I'm going to go ahead and get the worship team uh, and the prayer team to come up. So when I spoke about my friend, um, her dad was a pastor, her uncle was a pastor. She attended Sunday school. She led vacation Bible school. I mean, she was a Christian. She was a believer. And although her life had a sad and tragic ending, it testified undeniably of God's redemptive power. And for me, it is very hard to believe that that young woman went anywhere besides heaven. And why? Because she knew Jesus and for forgiveness of sin. I read that earlier. Forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. That forgiveness is what I want to talk about for just a second. I read in Matthew 26 when Jesus says, drink from it, all of you, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word for forgiveness means to send off or away. And throughout scripture, this is the one fundamental meaning of forgiveness, to separate the sin from the sinner. Human forgiveness means the remission of a penalty deserved, whereas divine forgiveness in type and fulfillment always follows the execution of the penalty. Leviticus 4.35 says the priest will make atonement for him for the sin he has committed and he will be forgiven. Hebrews 9.22 says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
And finally, Matthew 26, 28 says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness, the sending away of sin. The sin of the justified believer interrupts his fellowship, but it is forgiven upon confession, but always on the ground of Christ's atoning sacrifice.